Yeah. Well, anyways, welcome to Hip and Humble. I'm Aram. And I'm Mom. And we talk about all things antique and collectibles. Yes, we do. <clears throat> we are supported by Hip and Humble Antiques, LLC, with two locations, one in downtown Fredericksburg, Virginia, and one just outside of Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, in Bethany, Oklahoma, at the Rink Gallery. And we also have an online store on Etsy, Hip and Humble Antiques, on Etsy. If we don't have something that tickles your fancy at the moment, I promise we will soon. Yep. We are also supported by the WGSN <clears throat> DB Going Solo Network. Uh, this network is a fantastic resource. There are a ton of really great creators and artists and shows, so please check it out. All right. Let's just get right into it. Okay. The topic today is very close to my heart, and it is one of the things that fan the flames of the passion my mother and I share for antiques. I've always been fascinated with the past, sometimes to a fault, but pastimes are an opportunity to delight, op, are an opportune delight in nostalgia. Of course, I'm talking about baseball cards. I have collected baseball cards since I was about 10 years old. One of my favorite memories from Oklahoma was when my brother and I went to my very first baseball card shop just outside of Oklahoma City. Yes, I used to take Aram all over the place to get those baseball cards, and I mean all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, but as he got older, we used to get them from the antique. We, we would get them from the antique shops and from auctions. So we have talked about cards in the past, but baseball cards and collectibles alike are kind of a different culture. Um, baseball cards in a baseball period in America is um, a pastime. So everybody, you know, apple pie, baseball. Yep. That's what says America to a lot, to a lot of people. Um, but baseball cards are the memorialization of all of the names of the people, the companies, the culture um, that they that they represent. Right. So the. Uh, Baseball card, when people think of baseball, baseball cards, they think of the United States. Yep. And baseball cards are just kind of one thing that we can kind of collect that, uh, you know, kind of represent that and really Absolutely. give us a sense of Americana mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of uh, brings everybody together. Yeah. It's very unifying. Yeah. Well, I mean, baseball, baseball as a culture, as a point of culture in especially United States culture is kind of a cornerstone, you know, well, it, it it's, is. Very, it's, it's an immortal concept at this point. Well, and you can also just even, uh, you know, baseball was kind of one of those things. It was, it was big. I mean, yeah. and it was kind of, I don't know if maybe it was the first sport that was, you know, on the radio, but I pretty much, I think on the radio yeah. and, you know, everybody listened to baseball. Baseball was was all of it, but it also kind of bled into um, political cultures and stuff because you had the first black baseball teams, right? Uh, first women's, mm-hmm. first black women. I mean, they had a lot of first in baseball, right? Which you know is is really pretty cool. It so, is. I mean, cool. You do in other things too, but baseball is always it's a game. Mm-hmm. Anybody can play baseball. Well, maybe not anybody, but not anybody. Yeah, well, unless your daddy. But, uh, <laughs> He's all right. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> but, you know, pretty much any, anybody can play baseball. They can enjoy it. I mean, you think of Babe Ruth. That man was not small. He wasn't small and he wasn't fit. And that is why I think they named the Babe Ruth candy bar after him. They sure did. 
because and back then back it. then you know they didn't have the training <laughs> regiment that uh they do nowadays well, but and, you also didn't have the endorsements right i mean people back then played baseball because they loved to play baseball right well, and they were, you know, if you made it to the major leagues, it's because you were good at baseball, not because you were advantageous to the club in a political sense. Right, right. And you weren't doing it for the endorsements. You were doing it because you wanted to be the best of the best. Right. And you don't see that a lot anymore. Now it's all I mean, very mixed. You, you do, but but it, it is a different culture. Yeah. You know, it's it's just a different way of doing things than than, than it was. Sure. And baseball cards have immortalized that culture. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? So. And baseball paraphernalia. There's a whole lot of stuff. Oh yeah. Well, pretty much anything that a baseball player has touched, sneezed on. <laughs> you know, held, hit, whatever, it is collectible to the nth degree. Oh, yeah. And baseball cards are kind of this, the to me, the apex of that collectible culture. So, pre-1900s, they baseball... It, it, just for the record, though, Aram didn't play baseball. I did not. I played, I played, played t-ball for one, one season. One season. I ran around the bases backwards, apparently. I don't remember that, but I do remember being incredibly happy that you picked soccer. Yeah, as much, as as cool as baseball is, and as iconic as it is to the culture, it is. Uh, it's a long game. It's a long game. It's a long game, and I've as I've gotten older, I've played softball with my dad just because I enjoy spending time with him and so on. But it's uh, not my favorite sport to play. I, no. I, you know, I grew up playing soccer after that one season of t-ball and soccer, you're constantly moving and you're you always have something to do. Uh, you're, it's very coordinated. Soccer is a lot like a chess game in, in different ways because it's all about positioning and angles, trying to find, uh, different places to make runs, to make yourself available for the ball and, and so on. And listening to your mother when she says, get that one. <laughs> Yeah, we, that's we part our, of it. We had, you know, baseball has like the little hand signals. They got the hand stuff. signals, yeah. Yeah, my kids had the, okay, mom, you're going to do some math while we're here. You see that three plus two guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> three plus two, Aaron, three plus, which means you get him. Uh-huh, uh-huh. He is the one to watch. Oh, yeah. Not that I'm one of those parents that advocates, you know, being really rough, but. Yeah. You know. She was. <laughs> I, I wasn't. You just, you got to, you just got to get him. Right. Right. Sometimes. Yeah, just gotta get him sometimes. Not weenie out too, like some of them lay on the ground crying, oh, no, they hurt me. Yeah, flopping like a fish. I, yeah, I will say that's one thing about the professionals. Although, as I've gotten older now too, I, <laughs> anytime I get hit on the field, like slide tackled or anything, it takes, it takes more than about two seconds to pop back up. Yeah, well, the high school kids, no. The high school kids, no. I gotta say though, just to plug all the girls out there playing soccer, Girls are not weenies. They're mean. Oh, let me tell you. They're I, mean. If I got my cha- choice to watch a girls soccer game or boys, I, I'm sorry. I love my sons, but I'm watching the girls because they are brutal and they, they have the stamina. Yeah. I mean, that one it's game. Not as, it's not as fast paced of a game. Oh, I don't know. The, but, U, the U.S. I think it was U.S. versus China in the uh-huh, Olympics. Uh-huh. And they went into like double overtime and those girls had stamina and they, I mean, they did not let up. Mm-hmm. It was beyond impressive. Oh yeah. No, the U, the U.S. women's national team is, it's the best in the world and they're fantastic. Oh, yeah. They're the best of what they do. 
uh, kudos to them and, and everything. Like I said, I, as far as professional and actually walking, watching soccer, I do prefer to watch like Champions League, Europa League and, and so well, on. Well, they don't really have a lot of, I mean, you don't, you don't find it on television very, you know, girl soccer, but no, well, but I, I love when the Olympics roll around and I can watch those girls play. Mm-hmm. That they're, they're awesome. Oh yeah. No, they are. They're fantastic. Awesome, awesome. But back to baseball. Back to baseball though. Baseball is also awesome. And like we it were is. saying, like we were saying before, or like I was saying before, the baseball cards really have immortalized that in American culture. And it's interesting because of course they real, realistically they started it as advertisement. Mm-hmm. You know, and before baseball cards, quote unquote, there were cabinet cards. And this has been the pre 1900s. Cabinet cards were produced in the years before and just after the American Civil War. Approximately the 1840s to the 1860s. During the mid 19th century, both baseball and photography were becoming more and more popular. Because if you, I mean, obviously, in the 1800s, photography was a pretty new phenomenon. Sure. Yeah, the an expensive one. And an expensive one too. And then the names of specific players were not really on these cards. These cabinet cards, as they were called, were more picture oriented time sakes. Uh, much different than modern baseball cards that many are familiar with. They were called cabinet cards since they were the appropriate size, usually about four by sixes, to be showcased in a family's cabinet. So they were more like these little pictures of whole teams. Yeah. And there's a lot of debate about whether these cabinet cards or cards de, vis, de, de visite, as they are sometimes called, should equate to be co- being qualified as actual baseball cards. Since the majority of these cards are basically just team portraits, like I was saying. An example of photography at the time and not an actual baseball card. So these cards were kind of comparable to a business card of today. Once photography became more widely available, those with enough money could have as many of these cards produced for themselves. Thus, there wasn't any one particular company producing these cards. So basically, you basically pay for a picture of the team and that you get a four by six picture of the team and put it in your cabinet. And that, that was really were, what it was. I will say also, as far as advertisement go, Cards were big on advertisement. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, everybody advertised on cards. So they would have artists would draw the cards. Yeah. Um, for everything. I mean, you're talking from soap to, yeah. you know, to Uncle Bob's, you know, tummy remedy. They, they would have cards and people collected and kept those advertisement cards, kind of like a file index, mm-hmm. you know, for things like that. So, you know, the, these, uh, cabinet cards were really kind of a step the next step. Absolutely. Absolutely. They were the next step. Self-proclaimed baseball nerd Keith Olbermann argues this case. The the nitpicking part here is the definition of baseball card. Baseball card has always been a card or similar item depicting a player or team that was designed to help sell another product. As late as the 1980, there weren't just weren't many cards made for the sake of making them. They were me- they were a means of advertising. They were stiffeners in the packets of cigarettes, and they were sold with slabs of taffy. They were found in boxes of cornflakes. They doubled as tickets. And most recently, they were used to raise one particular manufactured bubble gum above all others. So the 1865 Atlantic's carte de visite, while a great item, doesn't meet the standard definition of a baseball card. 
But by the late 1860s, more official type baseball cards were hitting the market, and these most certainly would live up to the criteria as defined by Olbermann, Peck, and Snyder, a sporting, com- uh, sporting goods company created what can be considered the first true baseball cards, producing cards from 1868 to 1870. So I think it's interesting to note that a lot of the biggest names in baseball cards like Topps, Fleer, and so on and so forth, these these cards weren't real or those manufacturers of those card manufacturers weren't weren't really a thought or even an afterthought in the beginnings of card uh, baseball card making. Yeah, I think the evolution of baseball card making has has gone through so many changes in such a short period of time as comparable to a lot of other companies like even furniture companies and i know we talked about playing card companies like bicycle and right and some of those have been around for you know a good majority of the time that those cards have been in production whereas with baseball cards a lot of the bigger names now that are still producing baseball cards were not part were not there in the beginning right you know so the fronts of cards featured uh by the the fronts of cards by the Peck and Snyder Sporting Goods Company. The fronts of the cards that they featured, they featured a photo of their respective team with a cartoon image advertising the Peck and Snyder store in New York. Right. In 1869, the 1869 set featured cards of the first professional baseball team, the Cincinnati, Cincinnati Red Stockings, and was produced in two different sizes. Still, despite this technically qualifying as a baseball card, these cards are commonly known as trade cards, those that are given away as opposed to something provided to help sell a product. It would be another 20 years before the more typical production method of creating cards for individual players would take place. Still, these cards are certainly quite rare. Uh, so PSA, which is kind of like the gold standard for valuing baseball cards, and baseball memorabilia. So they note that only six have been authenticated. One recent auction shows a sale price of over $50,000. Wow. Yeah, so if you see anything with baseball and Peck and Snyder on it, go ahead and send that in, get it verified. Because if you can authenticate something like that, that that's that's a pretty coin in your pocket. Yeah, yeah. There are so many counterfeiters. There are incredible amount of counterfeiters and and some of the counterfeit cards are actually worth some money because of how even how old those counterfeits are because baseball cards obviously have been around since the 1860s so if you get a counterfeit from 1910 of an 1860 pack and snyder card that counterfeit is still worth yeah, a little i mean it's not true. definitely not worth as much as the original, original but it's still worth some money yeah. Oh, yeah. So the tobacco card era came after the cabinet card era. And the tobacco cards are the first, are the oldest baseball cards in my collection. Uh, I know at an auction we got some of the tobacco cards. Oh. Yeah. I don't remember those. Yeah, I still have I don't have remember. Them. Even, yeah. I still have them. They're framed in a, a really nice yeah, picture those are, frame. Those are really nice. There's a, yeah, those are definitely my favorite cards that I have. They also had tobacco silks. Which, um, those would come in with a pack of, of cigarettes, I guess. And, uh, you don't, those were 
very, very limited quality and you don't, you, you don't find them very often. When you do find them, they're very expensive, but they actually were a piece of silk. Yeah. So with the, with the different pictures and stuff on it. Yeah. So they were really pretty neat. Oh, oh, for sure. Tobacco companies back when they could advertise, I mean, tobacco companies get so much money, obviously, because their product is addictive. So. Well, yeah. You know, yeah. everybody, everybody that buy, buys cigarettes will continue to buy cigarettes and until you make the decision to smoke also, or to quit smoking. Also, PSA, you know, everyone consider, consider your health, consider the health of, and safety of everyone around you and you make the right choices for yourself and be healthy. But anyways, the tobacco card era by the late 1800s, baseball was on its way to become, becoming America's pastime. Tobacco cards were now becoming widely distributed inside of cigarette packs, like we said. They were used to promote various cigarette brands while also acting as a stiffener to help protect the cigarettes from getting crushed. Because back then, all cigarettes came in soft packs. So it was basically just paper or foil wrapped in cellophane that protected the cigarettes and so uh the baseball cards made it so that the cigarette pack would stay square and protect the cigarettes before you opened it the early the importantly since these cards were only found inside of cigarette packs the cards were not targeted at kids as this wouldn't come until almost 25 years later which i i find interesting that baseball cards collector's cards and so on they inherently seem like a, a childlike thing because idolizing another person based on skills that you haven't attained at that time in your life makes more sense to me than, than, uh, an, adult. than an adult. But I think that baseball is one of those sports that really is timeless. I mean, you can love it as a 10-year-old and you can love it as a 60-year-old. Well, of course, I think all sports are that way. I'm only saying that maybe prioritizing the having that having that as a priority seems like more of a childlike obsession than, than Oh, some, you'd be surprised. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose I mean, there's, so. There's 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 I've got people all the time that come in and grown, grown men and women and whatnot with just wild thing. You know, they want to know if I have, um, oyster, oyster plates because she collects oyster plates and just passionate about these. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, I think there might be one or two, but I don't have like a wall of them, but. <laughs> Well, it's interesting. You know, it's, 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 it's People are passionate about different things, I guess. Absolutely. And I will say another note on that subject. It's kind of funny, but people, it's like in the antiques business, you, you get, uh, you've run across a lot of really cool stuff, but you the, pro- the problem is, is not everybody thinks what you think is really cool. That's true. And so you, you may find this incredibly rare, uh, like the mold that we saw today. The, so it's like a, like a six and a half foot tall clay, oh, yeah. clay mold of some kind, cylindrical mold from, you know, probably the late eight, the late 1800s or the early 1900s. And it's in great condition. It's very, I mean, it's a beautiful piece. The problem is, is who's going to buy that? I mean, it's six feet tall. It's one. It kind of looks like a lighthouse. It looks like a lighthouse. It's six feet tall. You're, you're not, it's not going to be used. It's a very special. Special kind of person, but of course, this vendor, um, like I was telling Aram, this vendor has, uh, decorates restaurants. You know, that's what he, you know, was doing. Of course, right now, 
work is slow because of all the stuff. Right. But that's what he would do. So I'm assuming that that piece probably would have been in, you know, just some kind of funky atmosphere yeah. kind of restaurant place. But, but yeah, what are you going to do with it in your home? I mean, you, you would have to. Yeah. It would have to fit a specific little niche. It would. It would. Absolutely. I mean, realistically, a piece like that is something like if you were a clay manufacturer and you had a corporate office of some kind, you could put that up as a wall piece or a centerpiece, display sure. piece or something like that. It could but be again, a wall. <laughs> yeah, it could be a wall. And it, I mean, it would be fantastic re- to repurpose with. But again, there's so many cool things that you come across that that have that you see the see them as a valuable item but they they're not valuable to everyone right you know but the and, and I will say baseball cards are pretty much a, one of the exceptions to that because almost anybody knows or looks can look at a baseball card and think you know this will possibly have value right right and they also look at baseball cards too cuz i think most people um, in the United States, a lot of people, um, that it brings up memories. So there's a lot of nostalgia there. Oh, yeah. you know, oh, I remember when I was at this game or I remember listening to this game on the radio or, um, watching it now on the television, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of nostalgia, personal nostalgia Absolutely. that is, you know, kind of wrapped up in, in baseball cards for sure. And we're going to talk more about that as soon as we come back. Hi, my name is Kaylin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Tea Time Thoughts. Do you ever wish you could learn more about history, books, music, art, and culture, but you just don't know where to start? I totally feel your pain. Learning about all these things can be so overwhelming. Well, I want to change all of that for you. In my podcast, Tea Time Thoughts, I'll show you just how fun it all can be. In the time it takes to have a cup of tea, I'm going to teach you everything from the French Revolution to the Black Plague, Mozart to Broadway musicals, Da Vinci to Robert Frost, Ancient Egypt to Queen Elizabeth II, and more. You can stream Tea Time Thoughts wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So what are you waiting for? Put the kettle on and listen to Tea Time Thoughts today. Welcome back. Welcome back to Hip and Humble. I'm still Aram. And I'm still Mom. And we are still talking about baseball cards. Absolutely. We are also still supported by Hip and Humble, Hip and Humble Antiques, LLC. If you're not following us on Instagram, first of all, shame on you. Second, <laughs> please do. We are hipin.humble. That's H-I-P-N.humble. Post any questions, any requests for types of antiques or topics on that you would like to hear in the podcast on there, and I promise I will reply to you. Yes, he will. Absolutely. We are also supported by the WGSN DB Going Solo Network. This network is a great resource for singles. It's also a nationally broadcast online radio network and we are proud to be a part of it oh i also did mention if you would like if you really like what we're doing on our show and you would like to support us in some way please leave us a tip on our patreon page patreon.com slash hip and humble no tip is too small or too big we like them all (laughs) and and anything you guys put into us we put right back into the show for you that's right all right so back to baseball cards. We had kind of got off on a trail talking about how baseball cards and others have an, 
somewhat of an intrinsic or assumed value just because of what they are. But before we got into that, we talked about the, we started to talk about the tobacco card era. So by the late 1800s, baseball was on its way to becoming America's pastime. Tobacco cards were now becoming widely distributed inside of cigarette packs. We covered that a little bit briefly. So after that, importantly, since these, or excuse me, the early tobacco cards varied in design and format with typical size measuring, roughly two by five eighths inches, inches by one and one, one and one half inches. In 1886, Goodwin Tobacco, who owned the old judge and the Gypsy Queen cigarettes, which they're no longer in production, created what has been known as the first official baseball card set, aka, aka the N167 set. So in baseball card there in baseball their stats are very regimented. There's a lot of math in baseball. Probably it, another reason why you didn't pick Yeah, it up. that's probably another reason I didn't pick it up. Is, we don't math well. Yeah. Uh, somebody has tried to explain it to me at, at different points in my life and the concepts are simplistic and you know it's out of it's out of tens and one hundreds, so you know it's not exactly hard to follow along with, but it's a lot of information to keep stored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why these you'll see late some of the baseball cards we'll talk about later. The statistics and stats that they have on the back, you know, the entire back of the card would be filled with this tiny little print of all these different stats, and it's very it's very interesting. And so a lot of the or all of the cards, they're part of different sets, and these sets are numbered. It's all very, very regimented. Everything's very accounted for, and which makes it fantastic for collections because if you're logging, you know what you're collecting, uh, putting it all in a specific collector's book, or so or something of the accord and you want to inventory all of your cards, it makes it really easy to do because all of the cards and the card sets themselves have, have these different nomenclatures that are specifically numbers. Yeah. So this set features only 12 players from the New York giants. Not surprising given Goodwin's New York location. So between 1886 and 1890, Goodwin was pumping out cards and cigarette packs under the Old Judge and Gypsy Queen brand. The N172 Old Judge set is a massive collection of with over 500 pay- players and 3,000 variations that we know of. Wow. So these cards are fairly easy to find, and the PSA has reported over 4,000 graded submissions. And for those of you that don't know, that graded submissions mean, just mean cards that have been authenticated or graded by a an authenticating source. Yeah, someone who's been, you know... I don't know if they go through a school or a class or they're certified though to, to mm-hmm. be able to spot fakes and, yes. and then know what the real ones are. Look at the signatures. It's, and, it's, a, it's a kind of licensing. So, yeah. you know, uh, some people are notaries or appraisers of, of specific items. And in order to acquire those titles, you have to meet a certain set of qualifications and standards and base baseball card. Auditors, I guess you would say, but graders is what right. they are. Graders. graders go through so go through the same kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. They just they've all got a process, 
you know, so that they know what they're doing. Right. Just like with everybody. But because these cards are really easy to find and there's, there's a lot of them, uh, they're low grade. So they're common cards and they can be had for under a hundred dollars a card. Yeah. You know, which if you think about, you know, a card being $50, it's not, you, you don't, you don't pay $45 for one card every day. Right. Well, that's true. But, but as in the in the baseball card collection world, that's that's a pretty cheap card. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The bigger biggest problem is finding cards in good conditions, as yes. fading and rebacking are common issues. Because obviously, these cards are very very old; they're over a hundred years old at this point. Right. So, and and if you think about it in a different way, these cards were not in you know these cellophane packs that a lot of the newer cards. That came in. They were, they were in, not protected. No, they were in cigarette packs. And so they had to be handled to take the cigarettes out and, and they had to be, you know, exposed to open air for over a hundred years and paper, just paper and cardboard just don't last that long, really. No, they don't. Yeah. You know, so it's, it is very hard to find those kinds of cards in really, really good condition. Right. And I will say that is another great way to spot a fake. Yeah, if you see a car, if you, if you find a tobacco card or someone's advertising tobacco cards and they, you know, they're waxy to the touch, you know, or they, they look brand spanking new, there's a good chance that those are reproductions. Right. Yeah. Mm hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And you kind of have to watch for that too. And, and you know, maybe you do want a reproduction if you're trying to collect a certain series because they came in series. Mm hmm. Um, and they weren't all baseball cards either. They had uh, series with uh, animals. Yes. And, I mean, there were there were a lot of different series. Yes. So, so base baseball it became what it baseball cards and that collection collection scene became what it is because of tobacco cards. However, back then the tobacco companies weren't necessarily just advertising. They these were all advertisements. So right. they weren't they weren't just using baseball cards. They were they weren't just making baseball cards. They were chasing down every avenue to make their product exciting so that you would want to, to buy it more. Money. Mm-hmm. They wanted money. Yep. And that's true. Yeah. I mean, if they could get you into collecting something, then, yeah, you're going to buy 10 of them. Yeah. Well, you know how that is. There were some people, uh, maybe folks can relate to, with the McDonald's toys. Yeah. You know, for the longest time, they'd have like a series of McDonald's toys. And I don't care if you wanted a Happy Meal or not. You were going to go in there and get that Happy Meal to see if you could get that part, yeah. what the one you wanted. Exactly. Absolutely. So it, I mean, it, make, it makes perfect sense if you get if you get a, a product that people are interested in collecting a specific set of, and a lot of the times people just like to have sets of things. So. I mean, it was a giveaway. Yeah, is what it was. Yeah. It was a giveaway, kind of a gimmick to get you to buy the product. Right. Whether you use the product or not is. You know, irrelevant. Mm -hmm. It was, yeah. Their goal is to get you to buy the product. And And for, I mean, and for certain too. There, I'm sure that there were, and still are people that, you know, like like she was saying that buy item, buy things that they don't use. They don't use the actual product just for just because just to get the collectible collectible aspect of that particular product. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. I know that was like a big craze. You know, different ones. They had like the Madame Alexander dolls and Hot Wheels and specially made this, that, and the other. And Pokemon. I remember po- Pokemon. Pokemon was huge, yeah. huge, huge, huge. Yeah. That was a big one too. So. Yeah. Oh, and everything Disney. 
Yes. Yeah. Everything. Disney. Anything Disney. Yes. But around the same time as the, as Goodwin, um, Allen and Ginter, another popular cigarette company issued some of the most beautiful lithographic cards of the era. The first Allen and Ginter set referred to as N28 is one of the most popular issues of the 19th century tobacco era. So despite the age of these cards, now they're over 140 years old, they aren't impossible to find. According to PSA, roughly 3,800 cards in the N28 set have been graded. However, you can't, you can forget about finding a PSA 10 as none to date have received a perfect score. So even though they, these cards, you can find them, any, any card in this set, in the, in the N28 set, none of them are in perfect condition. No. Mm-mm. And who really would be at 140 years? Yeah. If you're not, if you don't have some dings or whatever at 140 years, that that just doesn't make sense. You haven't lived. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Scars are like tattoos with cooler stories. That's right. People sit there with my, my arm. I uh, had an accident. So my arm is bionic is what I call it. It's full of titanium. And they're like, oh, you know, you should get like a tattoo to go over that scar. And I'm like, why? Yeah. I was like, you know, you could tell a story. And I'm like, I got a story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't need a tattoo. It's already got its own. Thing, yeah. That's, and that is the thing. It is a cool, it is a cool story. It's not a cool story. I mean, you got attacked by a bear. You had to fight off, <laughs> you had to fight off a bear and a shark at the same time. Yeah, so exactly. it was really cool. What actually happened is she was hiking along this cliff face. I wasn't. And this black bear jumped out of a tree and it was like some hybrid between a black bear and a flying squirrel. It had to have been because it jumped <laughs> out of the tree and its skin kind of flapped so that it literally landed, you know, directly next to my mom. But she, you know, she ninja rolled away initially (laughs) and uh, the bear started to come at her and she put up her left arm and it you know the bear smacked up against it and you know of course uh she broke it but it was my right arm oh that's right it was the right (laughs) arm but anyway she put the right arm up broke it she fell off the cliff into the ocean below and lo and behold there was a bull shark waiting for her down there and she had to punch it in the nose with her good arm and and uh and then swim back to shore just with one arm and two legs and you know what you can't beat a story like that you really can't it's it you can't beat that story it's great yeah. however <laughs> i was going into the mall to buy a skirt for christmas and my right knee gave out, so I fell, and instead of falling on my shoulder, which now I know to do, mm-hmm. I put my hand out, and it hit my hit my palm of my hand, dislocated the elbow, crushed the radial head, um, broke the, broke all the all three bones. It's called a terrible triad injury. So my my arm doesn't turn anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that arm story way cooler than mine. Yeah. I, I like my story better. Yeah, I do too. But, you know, <laughs> but if you're walking along, folks, even if you are in tennis shoes and it is a lovely 72 degree weather with absolutely no rain and the pavement is straight, <laughs> if you fall, do not put your hand out. Oh, yeah. No, definitely do not. Either fall on your back or your shoulder. Oh, or my, your butt. My, my hand surgeon said fall on your shoulder because they're easier to fix. Whether or not that's true or not, I don't know, but I do know. The elbow is not an easy one. Well, the best thing you can do if you if you feel yourself falling is to collapse your knees so you can roll. My knee had already gave out. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you can 
but the the best thing to do is to roll to displace all of the weight. You know, it's one of those things when stuff like that happens. I it's, mean, it's like a split second. Yeah, and, it's a freak accident. You know, you're done. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Anyway. But anyways, back to the Ginter cards, the Allen and Ginter sets. So this great piece of tobacco, um, it, it no, it's noted that it was quite common for collectors to glue these cards into albums back then because the back of the cards are blank. You know, they were, they were tobacco cards, so they didn't have like tops and fleer. The newer cards, they have all the stats on the back of the card. They didn't have that. They just had the front of the card was, you know, a baseball player or whatever. Right. And then the back of the cards didn't have anything on them. So collectors would just glue these cards into albums. Thus, finding one in tip top shape is nearly impossible. Even still, commons in, um, the, VG shape still run about $300 on average. Wow. That's a, that's, that's a lot. Yeah. So baseball cards actually have different classifications. Before we go into the further eras, we're going to talk about these pretty quickly. And actually this, this topic is going to be a little serious for a little while because baseball cards have quite a lot of info. <laughs> <laughs> There's, and Aram loves to talk about them. I do. I do love base. I do love talking about baseball cards. I've learned a lot too, and and I love listening the baseball cards. But there's just so many more avenues that baseball cards kind of spurn. You know, they kind of went off. I mean, right. I found that uh, Topps coin. So they had like baseball yeah, coins. They got it's coins. It's just a lot of neat stuff. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Ba- baseball memorabilia for me is ninety percent of the fun. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, we were talking about it at the beginning. As far as actually watching baseball, I'm, I'm not hugely into it. No. <laughs> you know, but I, I love the memorabilia. I love the culture around it. I think it's. No, I loved going. Now Oklahoma City had a farm team. Yeah. When I was a kid. And so of course now they've got a whole, you know, downtown Oklahoma City has been completely revamped. Mm-hmm. And if anybody goes through there, it is a wonderful place to go down in Bricktown and, uh, they have a new baseball team and and uh, basketball team, and it, it's a great it's it's great. But back then we didn't have that, so they had uh, our farm team, and my dad we would go, and that was like it was a big deal. It, we would go, and you could go sit on the hill, make a picnic, and go sit on the hill, make a whole day of it. Well, yeah, well we we would just usually go. Towards the end of end of the game because it was long. <laughs> yeah, and having kids on a hill is not a good idea for hours on end. No, because then eventually they start rolling, and then yep. if there's a cement patch at the end, then that's that's a hospital trip waiting well, to happen. Yeah, that's true. But they would get dad would get us like hot dogs and stuff. So they had like ten cent hot dogs, and yeah, we just it was a great day. We had a good time. Well, and so Papa would take us to the baseball games there in Oklahoma City too. And I, I love going to the games live. You know, yeah, a live, ba- live baseball is fantastic yeah. because you, I mean, you got your ballpark, hot, you know, hot dogs. You got the big drinks for $20. Yeah. You get 20, you get like 80, 40 ounces for $20 of, you know, the sweetest Coca Cola you ever had. <laughs> That's true. Mm hmm. I swear they just pump sugar and caffeine into them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, what's Coke without it? That's true. That's true. And so the live games are just an incredible experience. And, you know, they also have the, the, the games that the audience play at 
live baseball games. Well, they do now. Back then, we didn't have all that. No. Well, no. Because now you also have, you know, you have the, your kiss cam kind of thing. Yeah, we and, didn't do all Oh, you know, all that. So it's, it's a very different experience and it, yeah. it's a lot of fun. I mean, I, I think both, you know, back then and now, I think both, both are great. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and it's just kind of the time, the sign of the times or whatever. Yeah. Um, as far as whatever technology is now available to be mm-hmm. able to enjoy, enjoy the game or, um, you know, have all those extras, I guess, with the game. But yeah, it's, is a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. And it's a lot of memories. I mean, you know, it's kind of like my memories of going to the game with my dad are completely different than your memories of going to the game with your papa. Right. So, of course, your papa will buy you whatever you want. Exactly. My dad, my dad would not do that. <laughs> yeah, he'd give us he'd give us candy, all the candy, anything we wanted. Oh, oh you want uh, cotton candy? You got it. Yeah. <laughs> You want Papa to buy it? Absolutely, Papa will buy anything you want. Uh huh. With us, you'd be like, no. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, how much is that? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Back when I was a child. Like, okay. Back when you were a child in the early early twentieth century. <laughs> so, yeah. I will say, my dad did have it rough. So yeah. Yeah, he I did. did. Number ten out of twelve kiddos. That is a that is uh, a whole that's a whole favorite. different lifestyle. <laughs> whole different lifestyle. Well, of course, back in the forties. So. Yeah, and folks, we are out of time for this episode, but don't worry, we're going to keep talking about this. Absolutely, we will be back next week. Thanks yep. for staying with us, and as always, stay hip and humble. All right, bye. Bye. <laughs>